Welcome to the Voice in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Steph Strack, the founder of Voice in Sport. As an athlete, professional, and mom, I have spent the last 20 years advocating for women and innovating across the sports industry. Now, I want to bring more visibility to female athletes and elevate their voice. At Voice in Sport, we share untold stories from female athletes to inspire us all to keep playing and change more than just the game. Today, we welcome Carla Williams to the Voice in Sport podcast. Carla is currently the athletic director at the University of Virginia, becoming the first black female athletic director for any school in a Power Five conference. Carla began her athletic journey in LaGrange, Georgia, eventually earning a spot to play Division I basketball at the University of Georgia. She then began to work in the sports world as an assistant coach, which then led to sports administration, where she found passion in working with all types of athletes and coaches to create opportunity and equality in sport. Carla shares with us today her journey through the ranks in the sports industry, which wasn't easy. It's a powerful conversation for us to hear as her belief in herself led to her success. She urges us to be our own champions and shares that if we are willing to work for it, nothing can stop us. We are so excited and honored to have Carla here with us today. Carla, welcome to the Voice and Sport podcast. It's great to be here with you. It's exciting to speak with somebody who has had such an incredible journey. You have the experience as a player, as a coach, and now all the way up the ranks in the athletic management side. So I'm so excited to talk to you about your journey. And let's start there, going way back to where you were born and the sport you started with. Where did it all start for you with the love and passion of sport? Yeah, it's a great question because I love where it started. And that was my hometown of LaGrange, Georgia, a small town in the deep south. And sports is huge there. It still is to this day. And so my parents encouraged me to play. And so I played a lot. And I lived right down the street from the neighborhood rec center. So I grew up playing tennis and swimming and volleyball and softball and basketball and football with the boys. So I was very fortunate in that my parents wanted me to play sports and I wanted to play and I had a place to play. And I know that's not always the case. So I was very fortunate in that regard. And and so that's where it started. And I love basketball. I played mostly with the boys. There were a couple of girls who were about my age. We grew up playing basketball with the boys and we went on to play college basketball as well. So I was recruited out of LaGrange, Georgia, and I had an affinity for Georgia football. And at the time, the women's basketball program there was excellent. It was on the rise and I wanted to be a part of that. So I chose Georgia. So I I went to Georgia to play, played there for four years. I became a graduate assistant, worked in the athletic department. And then I had earned an internship to the Southeastern Conference. And I was supposed to start in June. And then Coach Landers, my college coach, there was an assistant coach's position open. And so he offered me the position. I was 23 years old and I said, you know what? A real job is better than this internship right now. Although I was so excited about the internship, I thought, you know what? I get to stay in a place where I'm familiar and I get to coach. So I coached for five years and then got into administration at Georgia and moved on to Florida State and Vanderbilt and 
back to Georgia. And then in 2017, um, very fortunate to have the opportunity to be the athletics director at Virginia. It's such an incredible journey. I would love it if so many more girls would follow this journey and continue after sport into coaching and then into the sports industry and management because there's just so few women. And we're going to talk about that today. There's so few women in coaching at the highest levels. There's so few women in those athletic director positions in college, and we've got to change that. We're going to unpack it a little bit today to learn about how you did it, why you did it, and what you think the barriers are in some of those decisions that you had along your journey. So let's start back with high school, actually, because I wanted to know if you ever dreamt of going into the sports industry as a leader, or if you were really focused just on sport at the time. Tell us about that journey going to Georgia to play Division One basketball. How did you decide to go there? And were you already thinking, yeah, I have a, a long-term plan here in the athletic world? You know, my parents didn't go to college, so they didn't play sports in school or in college. And so I I had no idea that athletic administration was even a profession. I had no idea. And I knew that there were college coaches from different universities coming to my high school practices and offering kids scholarships to go to college. And I thought then that's what I want to do. I want to offer scholarships to kids to go to college and play basketball. And then when I got to Georgia from my small town, which by the way, there were more students at Georgia than people in my hometown. And so I realized that there were all these administrators working with the different sports and and different student athletes and coaches, I I didn't know about the profession. So that's where I first learned about it and became intrigued about it. And so I love sports. I love being in college. So I got into coaching because that was the first opportunity. I didn't at the time want to be a head coach. I just wanted to be the best assistant coach I could be. Literally, I told myself that I want to be the best assistant coach in the country. So I worked really hard at that. And then I moved into administration because it gave me a chance to work with a lot of different student athletes in different sports and coaches. And it gave me the opportunity to stay in sports. So I went from being a student athlete to a GA to a coach back to an entry level position in administration. And then it took me many years to advance my career. And I was like a sponge the whole time. I still am. I still love to ask questions and learn. Carla, why did you make that decision though and leave coaching? Was it because you saw no future for yourself in coaching or was it like you just looked at the athletic side and said, you know what, I feel like it's a better fit for me? It's a great question because even when I got out of coaching and got into administration and was in administration for several years, I was still offered a coaching job as a head coach, a really good position at a great school that would have paid me 10 times what I was making as an administrator. But it's important to do what you're passionate about. And I wanted to work with a lot of different sports and I wanted to work with student athletes, male and female in different sports. And I knew that as an administrator, I could hire coaches. And that's one way that I could do my part in helping expose female assistant coaches, female student athletes to the ranks of coaching and administration. 
And when I coached, I didn't want to be a head coach. I wanted to go into administration. Once I realized what it meant to be in athletic administration, the coaching gave me a great set of skills to be a better administrator. And so I coached long enough to learn as much as I could learn. And then I moved into administration with that skill set. And to this day, I rely on my time as a coach to help me as an administrator. So what is that skill set, that special sauce that you learned when you were a coach? Good coaches, just like good teachers, want their student athletes to be successful. And it's not always about winning at the end of the day. Of course, we all want to win. But the goal as an educator, as a teacher, as a coach is to help your student athletes be better when they leave you than they were when they came to you. And you learn a lot in losing. You learn a lot in winning. You learn a lot through adversity, through challenges. And and so as a coach, you get to experience all of that. And for me, it has made me a better administrator because I know how student athletes look at coaches and think of coaches because I was a student athlete. And I know how coaches view student athletes and administrators and their jobs. And so just being in that role, I can put myself in their shoes when I make decisions. And I do. And that's been very, very helpful. Before we move on to where you ended up going, why do you think there are so many barriers for women in the field of coaching at the college level? What do you think the barriers are? I think the salaries escalated. And early after Title IX, the salaries were low because they were primarily women. And then there was an investment in women's sports and the salaries went up. And there were a lot more men who applied for and received jobs coaching women. And so that's one of the reasons the numbers went down and continue to go down in women coaching women's sports. And so that's a barrier. And I've been here for not quite three years, and you don't have many opportunities to hire head coaches, but I've had to hire three head coaches here, and two of the three have been women. You have to be intentional, and you have to work really hard, and I know what it means to be qualified and ready and have the experience and not be given the opportunity. And so in that position that I'm in now, it's very important to me to work extremely hard to make sure that I go through that process in a very deliberate and hypersensitive manner. And I think we need more leaders like that. So what would you say to a young girl that's listening to our podcast and our conversation that might be considering to go into coaching? What advice would you give to her to encourage her and to be successful to reach those top jobs that are well-paid and well-positioned? I'd say go for it. There are so many wonderful opportunities in coaching at the high school level, the college level, and professional ranks. There are more professional women's teams now than ever, and so those opportunities are increasing too. But playing sports helped me as a coach. And like I've mentioned, coaching helped me as an administrator. There are more and more opportunities for young girls and young women to coach. And we need it. We need the role models. We need the examples. 
young boys and young men need to see women in leadership roles as coaches and administrators. And sports are part of the fabric of America, so they're not going anywhere. And so there will continue to be opportunities for young girls and young women to coach sports, not just women's sports, but also men's sports as well. Those numbers are increasing too. I've started to talk to a lot more women who are coaches lately as we're building Viz. And it's just still concerning to see that a lot of them are having to have side jobs to continue to do the coaching. So at what level can we expect girls or women who go into coaching to start making a living where they don't have to have a side job? What is that tipping point? Is it when you get to a certain division or level? Yeah, I know in division one, which is where I've spent my entire career, is very difficult to have another job besides coaching. If you're coaching in college that occupies all of your time, there are some Maybe they're second or third assistant coaches that have additional jobs to help ends meet. But fortunately, at the Division One level, and the salaries do range, there's a wide range of salaries, but most of those coaches, that is their primary job. And then they'll work camps in the summer. They'll have camps for student athletes in the summer. But I think it's a great opportunity to be on a college campus and have the opportunity to advance too. So I think it's an industry that is only going to grow. So you spent some time coaching, you dabbled in that, you have this really amazing background in going to Division One as a player yourself. And then in 2017, you were appointed at the University of Virginia, the athletic director, which made history because you were the first black female athletic director in an NCAA Power Five conference. So that's amazing and great to see. But I'd really like for you to unpack for us, what were the biggest barriers you faced and the lessons you learned along that journey? Things can seem scary, right? It could seem scary to be the first anything, but let go of that fear and go for it. That's a big part of it is just letting go of the fear and just going for it. And so I had a great job at Georgia, had been there for 13 years. It was home, very comfortable. I was learning a lot. I was doing a lot. So I I didn't have a burning desire to go be an athletic director. But I, I knew that I was reaching a ceiling and that was the next step. And I had been very selective. And so I had a small list of schools to consider that I would want to be an athletic director at. And Virginia was on that small list. It was a very short list because I had a great job. And then this job came open. I called because I thought that would be perfect for me. And so I called a friend of mine who was a head of a search firm for college ADs and coaches, et cetera, and had been doing it for a long time. And, and I said, hey, the Virginia job is open and I would love that job. What do you think I need to do to get in the mix there? And he said to me, you'll never get it. Don't try. There are sitting athletic directors who really want that job and they've got a better chance at getting that job than you do. And I said, I said, okay got off the phone and immediately started planning another way to get involved in the search for this job. And so when I talk about setting fear aside, that's real. That's really important because I did that. And I reached out to the search firm that had this position 
and I was not a part of the original pool. And I told the search firm that if they would interview me, that I would earn my way into the pool. And thankfully, they interviewed me. I interviewed three times. Everyone else interviewed twice. So I had to interview my way into the pool. And second round, I, you know, there was, I was confident. There were no questions that I didn't feel like I had the experience to do well and made it to the finals and interviewed that third time. And same thing, felt completely more than qualified for the position and confident that I would do a, a great job. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I was selected. You got told basically no. Yep from a recruiting firm that specializes in the area you're trying to go after. How did you face that rejection? When you got off the phone, you said you explored other options. What did you do? And then for the girls or the women that are trying to get to these roles that might be told the similar thing, what advice would you have for them? Well, I've been told that before. So that wasn't the first time that someone doubted my abilities. And so every time I got off the phone and started updating my resume and working on my story and how I would tell my story. And I started calling other search firms. And because I wanted to find out, I wanted to talk to the search firm. And this was very early in the process. And once I found out who had the job, I said, you need to interview me. You just have to interview me. So again, a lot of times as girls and, and young women, we think we have to be perfect before we try to advance. And then we think that we can't do it because we've never done it before. And my mindset is there are guys who aren't perfect and there are guys who haven't done this before and, and they go for it and I'm a competitor, so I'm going to go for it. You know, and I think that's one of the things that sports teaches us is it gives you confidence to compete. And when you have the confidence to compete, you can do anything, anything. I love that. You got to see the potential in yourself and realize that you can do that job even though you haven't done it yet. Absolutely. I think that's what holds us back, not just in, in jobs, but also just in anything is if you don't believe in yourself, who else will? If I listen to people that said you can't do that, I wouldn't be here. And so you really have to be a champion for yourself. And find others that too that will champion you. And maybe don't just listen to one no. But don't take one person's no to heart, especially in these journeys that are not as often covered with women and typically the sports industry. <laughs> so you're going to have to go into it with this mindset of, all right, I'm going to compete for this job. I know I can do this. Maybe I haven't done it yet, but I'm going for it. So that's one barrier you overcame. What are the other ones? Well, it's the typical stereotypes of what women can't do. It's those things. You know, women aren't good at sports. <laughs> you throw like a girl. You run like a girl. Well, heck yeah, I do. And that's really good. So that stereotype that women don't do sports as well as men do sports, that is totally false. And did you see that carry over to the management side, to the industry side? No doubt, because it's the same thing in leadership. There's a notion that women don't lead as well as men lead. And for me, in my experience in college athletics, and I've spent my entire professional career in college athletics, 
where I have seen mistakes and where I have seen huge problems, there were no women involved in the decision-making process. We just weren't in the room. We weren't a part of the discussion. And I firmly believe that one of my strengths is to listen and assess the total picture. And, you know, I had an AD one time that gave me a book and it was a book about worst case scenarios because I always consider consequences and implications. I'm always the person to say, now we could do that, but this is what could happen. This will be the result of that. Or you understand if you do that, this is how it will be interpreted. You know, so I think that, you know, those stereotypes that women aren't good in sports and women aren't leaders are totally false, totally false. And for too long, we believe those and listen to those. How does that show up, though, in your journey to getting to the athletic director position? Because I know we're just as good leaders and some cases better leaders than men. But because there's sort of this societal norm out there around those things that you just described, the women that are coming up right behind you in these athletic director positions are going to probably face some of the same discrimination you face. What is it? What are those things? And then what advice do we give them? This is going to sound simple, but it's really important. You have to believe in yourself. You really have to believe in yourself because we are smart and gifted and talented and leaders, caring and empathetic and competitive, hardworking. We are all of those things. But when you don't see women in positions, you tend to believe it's not possible. That's why barrier breakers are important. And while it's not easy being the first, in fact, it's quite difficult being the first, you have to, because you have to show others that it is not only can you do it, you should do it. (laughs) And so I think that there's a certain mental strength that I think comes from playing sports. And I think we as little girls probably benefit even more from that because it's abnormal. They're not used to seeing us compete and fight. So when you have mental strength and mental toughness and you compete That carries over the rest of your life. It's in everything that you do from playing sports to coaching sports to working in sports administration or any industry. You know, there are other stats out there that show that there aren't that many female CEOs in Fortune 500 companies. But of the ones that are there, the vast majority of them grew up playing sports It's so important, that mindset that you've been talking about, about going for it, about believing in yourself, about being okay with being powerful, because you feel that on the court or you feel that in the field when you score a goal or you do something incredible or you win a game or you fail and get back up. Taking that sort of mentality with you to these male-dominated industries can be very powerful for your success. And I 100% agree that that's how I got to be a CEO. And one of my biggest secret weapons was my experience in sport all the way through college. No doubt. 
And that takes me to wanting to know more of your philosophy as an athletic director, because it wasn't easy getting to where you are. You fought for it. You asked for it. You got yourself in that interview and now you're there. So how would you break it down? Yeah, it's very similar to the way I approach life. I've been able to advance for many reasons, but one of the reasons is my humility. And I think that what hampers people from growing and developing and learning is when you're afraid to admit you don't know. And you know what? I don't know everything, but I am a sponge. I want to know. And I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. I'm not afraid to ask questions. I'm not afraid to fail. There's great strength in humility. And that's really important to me. And hard work is a given. You have to work hard. There is no way to advance without working hard. But I also kind of have fun outworking people. That's part of what you learn. And as a little girl growing up in sports, you learn how to compete. and You learn how to outwork people. And it's fun. Outworking people is fun. So, you know, humility is important. Hard work is important. I think women are the most educated group. We're extremely educated at every level. And I think that's going to continue to grow. And I have an undergraduate degree, a master's degree, a PhD. When I was 16, I never would have thought that. But if I had known what I knew now when I was 16, I would have been thinking, okay, what do I want to get my master's degree in? You know, what do I want to get my PhD in? And how am I going to use this education to help me? And I just think that whenever I talk to young people now, I talk about the importance of education and as much education as you can get. Because I love this quote. The author is unknown, but the quote is, the future belongs to the competent. And I just think that that's education. And I think you should get as much education as you can. So there are many, many others. But, you know, for me, having humility working extremely hard and being really, really competent. And I'll give you one more that's important because I have it on my desk and I've had it on my desk for many, many years, but it is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So I have a PhD, but it doesn't mean anything if my student athletes don't know that I care about them. If the coaches don't know that I care about their success. So you should never lose sight of the fact that for me, what I do is to help others. That's really, really important. Your track record at the University of Virginia is incredible. One of the things that you have talked about as your philosophy is that you want to see strong academic numbers in your student athletes. And you talk about sort of all components. You talk about your commitment to leadership, ethics, wellness, academic achievement. And I guess just for all of the the student athletes out there that are listening to you talk, what do you think defines success for a student athlete in college? I've talked about it this way for years as administrators and coaches. We should strive to meet each student wherever they are and help them get to their fullest potential when it's time for them to leave. So if it's two years or three years or four years or five years, it's our responsibility to take that time and help that student athlete maximize their potential in every area, sports, academics, leadership, community engagement, their personal development, leadership development, 
whatever it is. So if our student athletes leave here and they say, wow, I had a great experience. This is what I learned. I learned this, 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 this. And this is how it's helping me in my life, in my family. That's success. You have shown that being a student athlete also can drive you to success off the field with your career, which I think is really important to continue to just recognize that staying in sport isn't always about winning, although it's nice to get those championship titles. (laughs) It's also important that it teaches you a lot of other things. I want to talk a little bit about Title IX because this is something that while you were at University of Georgia, you were involved with some of the committees and one of them was Title IX. If you just look at what's happened in the United States in the last year, it's a little concerning. As a mom, as an athlete, as a female, I'm concerned. And what happened, as we know, just for our audience on August 14th this year, the Department of of Education actually rolled back protection for sexual assault victims and made it a little more difficult for the ones who are victims in order to come forward. And so I want to talk about your reaction to that change. And then I want to break down some of these other stats that I'm just blown away by with Title IX because it's so important. It has done a lot of good for women and girls in sport, and we want to make sure it continues. Yeah, so I take a broader viewpoint and I look at Title IX or rules compliance, diversity, equity, inclusion, We will be in a much better place when everyone in athletic administration, coaches, everyone sees it as everyone's responsibility and not just the Title IX coordinator or not just the senior woman administrator. If you are a head coach in college, you are a leader. And as a leader, Title IX is a responsibility you. And so I've taken that approach throughout my career. And we've had Brenda Tracy. She's a sexual assault survivor, and she's a huge advocate. Her story is a very painful story. But something she said that really hit home, she said, if women could stop sexual assault, we would have done it already. And I take that same approach with racism. If Black people could end racism, we would have done it already. (laughs) So it really takes all of us. It takes all of us to end sexual assault. It takes all of us to end racism. So that's how I approach it. It's everyone's responsibility. I totally agree with you. I guess what's just so shocking to me are some of these stats. The Women's Sports Foundation recently put out their equity project report, right? Within that report, there were a lot of stats around Title IX. And I'm going to share a couple of them with you. Only 13% of NCAA schools offer proportional rates of athletic opportunities to male and female athletes. That was done by the U.S. Department of Education in 2019, so not that long ago. And the second one, which was a little older, 2013, said that only 17% of college coaches said they received formal Title IX training. And then this is the third final fact I'll share with you. About 40% of college athletes from NCAA Division I and III schools indicated they did not know what Title IX is. That was in 2017. This is one of the most important policies to help drive change. And those stats scare me. What's your reaction to that? So those that scare me too, especially when the NCAA rules require 
Title IX sexual assault education for every single student athlete, not only every single coach, but every single staff member. And the athletic director and the president or chancellor of the university has to sign off on the fact that that has happened. And so every place that I've been, and granted, I've been only at large schools, that's been the case. And so the real question is, what is that education? How effective is that education if people don't remember that they had it? And that's been my problem, which is why we have to be intentional about the education. If it is to be effective, you don't forget it. And that's what we as leaders should be striving for. We shouldn't be checking a box that we've done it. It has to be meaningful. As a female, I feel responsible for women. I feel responsible for people of color. I feel responsible for ensuring compliance with Title IX. I feel responsible for ensuring that our student athletes understand that sexual assault won't be tolerated. And I wish that that was a shared responsibility. And so that's what we have to work towards. Every single person affiliated with the athletic department, it's a shared responsibility of everyone. When we rely on one leader to do everything, we don't get everything done. I totally agree. I also love that you're working on the diversity within Division One sports. Some of these sports have a lot of lack of representation. And one that kind of shocks me, and I'd love to hear your take on this, is lacrosse. So lacrosse is a sport where right now only 2% of Division One athletes are Black and more than 80% are white. What is your role to help drive that change in representation? Because role models are important. You could look at all of our sports and see that, wow, we could and should do better. I will say a lot of young people in the South haven't been exposed to lacrosse, and that's growing and that's changing. But the same could be said for tennis and golf. And there are programs that are trying to expose kids to those sports that they wouldn't ordinarily have exposure to. I just think it has to start at the grassroots level because by the time they get to college, you don't earn a a lacrosse scholarship if you've never played lacrosse. That has to be grassroots for us to even begin to have an impact at the college level. What do you say to the girls out there right now that might not see themselves in their sport they're playing in? What would your encouraging words be to them? Oh, yeah, keep going. We've got African-Americans on our rowing team here at Virginia, and Kevin Sauer has had people of color for years. Small numbers, but nonetheless, again, there's no rowing where I grew up. (laughs) We've got people of color on our women's lacrosse team, our golf team, our tennis team. I think that just like anything, if if I didn't believe that I could be an athletic director at a Power 5 school as a Black woman, I wouldn't be. And that's no different from anything. And you could be 13 years old in middle school and you want to play tennis and you don't see anyone at your middle school who looks like you playing tennis. Guess what? Go to Google, go to YouTube and look at Serena Williams and Venus Williams. There are role models out there that you can find. And if you can't find any, it's like the quote by Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. You do it. You can do it. You can do it. 
I'm living proof of that. You can be the first if there is no first, if you believe you can do it. That's right. So I read your letter, Carla, that you announced to the class of 2020 after the graduation. And I thought it was amazing. I'd like to give an opportunity for you to share to all girls out there that are heading into this world of uncertainty, just graduating, and they're headed in with a really high debt level. The student loan debt is up to $1.6 trillion in the United States. And we're in the middle of a disruptive pandemic. So what is your message to female athletes out there that are heading into the world? So I've got a daughter who is in her last year of law school, and I've got a daughter who is a senior in college. And so my message to everyone is my same message to them. You decide what you want to be. You decide what you want to do and go do it. Go do it. And if you want to stay in school, stay in school. And, and I encourage that. Graduate school is great. If you can do it, and I know the debt is big out there. A lot of young people have incurred a lot of debt. But now's the time to get as much education as you can, if you can. If you have that choice and, and you're finishing your undergrad school, I would encourage you to go to graduate school. If you are graduating, like my oldest daughter is, and it's time to go, go do it. We talk about why not you, you know, why not? You want to be X? Well, sure. Okay, what's the plan? How are you going to get there? And let's go do it. That's the beauty of all of this is I get to dream. I get to decide what my dream is and I get to follow it. So go do it. It's great advice. I think that going into the world right now can seem scary, but if you have a vision for what you want to do, don't waver from that vision. What advice would you have for the girls that are taking a gap year to maintain their eligibility? What advice would you have for them to make the biggest impact or make the most out of their year away from school? This is where you start thinking about what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? What kind of impact do you want to have? And I would use that time to work on that because when you have the opportunity to actually sit and take a breath and really decide what you're passionate about, now is that time. Take advantage of that time and then pursue it. Not all education is in the classroom. And so going out there and getting some experience that's going to help you in college and your return to college or going to grad school or going into the professional ranks. There's no substitute for experience. And I volunteered a lot throughout my career. And that's how I learned a lot because people may not necessarily have the money to pay you an internship or as a graduate assistant, but you can volunteer. We all want volunteers and you can learn so much if you're able to, by volunteering. So whether it's volunteering or going back to school or taking a pay cut, which I did that too. You know, what may seem like a step backwards is actually steps forward. It's a very strong message to send to younger female athletes out there. I'm so excited to see you continue to excel and rise in the ranks of the athletic world because we need more women like you in those leadership roles and it's very inspiring. So 
Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Wow. What an inspiring conversation with Carla. Thank you so much for passing on your wisdom. You not only broke barriers, but your strength itself is inspiring. You never let others define you, and you always believed in yourself. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and encouraging us all to believe in our own power and know that we can control our journey. We want to see more female athletes transition into these top athletic and head coaching director roles so that more girls see themselves as leaders in the sports industry. It's so critical to have women like Carla in these positions. So follow Carla on Instagram at adwilliamsuva and cheer her on as she continues to break barriers. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice in Sport. Leave us a review, subscribe, share our podcast with your friends to show support. And if you are a female athlete, 13 to 22, and are interested in joining our community, as a member, you will have access to exclusive content, mentorship from our amazing female athletes in the Viz League, and advocacy tools to help us all drive change. Head to voiceinsport.com to join. And if you are passionate about accelerating sports science and research on the female athletic body, check out voiceinsportfoundation.org to get involved. See you next week on the Voice in Sport podcast.